This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. I am excited today. Today on the show, we have Rebecca Fitz. Rebecca has been in the industry for about a decade. She's the director of real estate of Leap, which is an interesting new concept. Uh, I think you're all going to really enjoy hearing about what Rebecca has been doing um, at Leap. And so, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Rebecca, why why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and who Leap is and and what you do? Sure. Uh, So for me, I um, have been attracted to retail forever um, and have had a couple of different dips from the marketing side to doing my own pop-ups to working for some of the big developers to jumping the shark and working for Warby Parker's real estate team. Uh, Now I'm currently the director of real estate for Leap. Um, which is a really great concept. We basically operate stores. Uh, We think of ourselves as the Shopify of physical retail. So brands can go on to our technology platform, put in some information, um, and then Leap uh, essentially underwrites the brand. So it takes a lot of the risk out of doing stores for retailers. So to break it down, we take the lease on the space, Uh, So the brand is not signing a a long-term lease or license agreement. Uh, We do all the CapEx. We have an amazing program that's interchangeable for any um, category. Uh, And then we do all the retail operations, uh, which includes the human side. So if you have a store that's powered by Leap, um, it's a Leap employee, but certainly totally knows your brand inside and out. Uh, And that also includes the technology portion of it. Um, and then the brand and Leap go in together on um, retail marketing. We roll that up um, into a four-wall P&L, uh, and this allows brands to focus on being a brand um, and not having to hire a director of real estate or director of operations and, and so on and so forth. Um, and there are a couple of pieces of great kind of secret sauce uh, within the, the Leap platform. Um, you know, one is that you get a brand a creative store, which means uh, if you are public rec, you get a public rec store, uh, which happens to be a, a very cool direct to consumer brand out of Chicago. Um, the other parts of it are a little behind the scenes, but, but we cluster our stores together um, so that that drives down some of the costs uh, or drives down costs for retail operations and also real estate. Got it. Um, so the way it works is you go and sign a lease with a landlord and then you guys go and you're like, you're not only the outsourced real estate from a human capital, you're literally the outsourced real estate. You're, you're a little bit what, you know, I'll call and you can correct me if I'm wrong. WeWork does where they lease it from the landlord and then they they sublease it out to other, you know, office tenants. You're obviously doing more, which is you're leasing it, but you're also providing human capital, marketing, and helping them really do everything 
as it relates to operating a store and as you call it, letting them be a brand. And I, I guess the way you guys are making money is the brand is paying you some sort of fee for this. Correct. So we refer to it as kind of cost plus. So, um, you know, we're clearly not taking on all of the costs um, and then, um, you know, charging a fee for what we, you know, actually do. Got it. And are you signing long term leases on these locations? Uh, um, always a, a great question, depending on who you are, on what a long-term lease actually is. So um, in the current environment, we're doing some shorter-term leases, uh, but we have, you know, also have um, within the portfolio, um, you know, three, five-year um, leases as well. And I think, you know, as we build our way out of the pandemic, we'll certainly um, be doing longer terms because I think, you know, brands are going to be, you know, getting more and more comfortable with the, the retail environment. And how, how challenging is it to get these brands interested in wanting to taste physical retail? Uh, is it, how much of it is you convincing brands that they should or them knocking on your door? I mean, the great thing is there's there's both, um, which is great. And the pandemic has certainly helped um, not only prove the leap model, but I think, um, you know, not necessarily have brands, you know, pounding down our door, but saying, hey, should I really be operating my own store? Um, and then we certainly do have a BD team where we're going out and talking to folks. I think there's been an interesting kind of fulcrum point within the, um, and you and I were talking off air earlier about direct to consumer brands um, and modern retailers, which is, um, you know, Warby kicked it off and, you know, I think was like, ah, we don't necessarily need to do physical retail. And then, you know, almost 200 stores later, they're doing physical retail. I think Everlane's founder said something very similar. And now, you know, they're doing stores. So, um, there's not a ton of convincing. I think the, the proof is in the pudding in some ways in that, um, you know, how you acquire customers um, is an expensive venture. Um, if you are a brand that can continue to do it through um, social media and other ways and exist online, um, kudos. Uh, but a lot of brands are finding, again, that there's this fulcrum point where um, the world is going to want to interact with you, touch, feel, um, and buy your product in real life. I agree with that premise. I also agree with kind of what you were alluding to earlier, which is, you know, customer acquisition cost and it, for a lot of brands, it being unprofitable to be online only. And I think that's, you know, they, they say customer acquisition cost is the new rent. And I, th <laughs> I think, I think that you know, and the CEO of Everlane, he, he was on Jim Cramer and on Jim Cramer, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, what online only company is really profitable? And he says, basically none of them. That's the dirty little secret. And so I, I, I think it's interesting what you're doing. And I suspect you're going to have, you know, some interesting demand from, you know, brands. Are you... You know, when we see you mentioned the other thing you mentioned was D to C, and I told you before, I, it, it's such a funny word to me because these D to C or direct to consumer brands, you know, we think of the Warbies and the Untuckets and the Bonobos of the world, but I, I also think of like 
there was D to C brands to, they were D to C in some regard, you know, back in the day and still are like Nike, they have their own stores and their own website and Apple and Ralph Lauren has their own stores and you can buy it at Macy's as well, but, and you can buy it at TJ Maxx and all those, but they have their own stores and they're doing direct to consumer as well. And so is it all up and coming like public rec, cool lifestyle brands? Is it, is it, are you guys working with any legacy brands? Uh, So we are not working with any legacy brands yet, but there's this nice um, happy medium that um, we're delighted with. And I think again, really, um, you know, we've proven the model again, year one of a startup is kind of proved the model year two is about growth. Even in a pandemic, um, what was interesting is some, I'll refer to them not as legacy retailers, but some modern retailers came to us and said, hey, maybe we shouldn't be running our own stores or it would make our lives a lot easier and our, our balance sheets maybe look a lot better um, if we, we do this. And then, you know, the other place where I think we're getting a lot of traction and is super exciting is there brands out there that might already have, um, you know, more than a handful of corporate stores want to continue to grow their fleet of stores. um, And we allow them to accelerate by um, doing some of their stores and they still hold on to some of theirs um, in areas that we are either going into or we're already into that they don't care to operate their own stores. And so we give them, you know, agility to open, um, which I didn't say in the beginning, but one of the things about the platform and the whole model is that um, if you go on the platform as a brand and you put in your information, we can, you know, get a store open in 30 days, um, which is kind of incredible uh, when you think about how um, labor intensive retail can be. Um, and also a big part of the model that we didn't talk about is that um, since we take the lease, if you take um, a two year commitment with us as a brand and we have a five year commitment on the lease, Um, you know, then we have another brand on the platform that would go into that space. So we're almost operating. I don't want to say like a mall, but we're a box of boxes in many ways. The Shopify of physical, as you called it there, (laughs) I'm waiting for Shopify to come and talk to me about that, but I'm going to use it until then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and how did this all get started? How did leap get started? Uh, So we have two amazing founders who um, had a a couple of companies together. And I think they just, uh, you know, they they had an epiphany about um, the retail landscape and what was going on. And I think we're really kind of looking around at some of these direct-to-consumer brands um, in in a good and a bad way. I mean, Warby is certainly an amazing success story, um, but there are definitely brands. And I think it's kind of an interesting story from the real estate side. Um, you know, that flounder um, and that, you know, they're capable of getting the space and they're capable of doing a couple of the other things. But there is so much time and energy that goes into running a full blown store and running it well. And um, if you're going to go and spend the time, money, energy to do a physical store, it's also about building this relationship with your customer. Um, and they just, you know, weren't able to do all of it. And I think it was a real bird's eye view of, hey, we can make this happen for brands. Um, We have a great idea for the model um, and how it will work and what the pricing will be and why it will, you know, add value 
um, to the retail environment and to retail brands. And, um, and it, it came alive the first year we were in four different markets, uh, 12 different stores working with nine different brands. Wow. So, and so is that, are those the numbers today? 12, 12 stores, nine brands? Uh, right around there. And I should have crunched the numbers before we came on, but we're still holding at 12 stores and we're, we're amazingly adding stores in the fourth quarter. Congrats. Yeah. And that's awesome. So yeah, good story. And, and, and yeah, and got a store open, um, you know, in the middle of pandemic, it happened to be something Navy, which is, you know, an Instagram sensation kind of brand. Um, so people were more than willing to come out and, and wait in line and, and shop. Well, I, I want to get, you know, do a, something a little more uh, that I think the audience just given the job market and what's going on out there right now. How did you find Leap or Leap find you? <laughs> That's a great question. And by the way, it's a, I love we're touching on so many things. So um, I had just left um, the developer side of the business and was looking around um, for kind of what I wanted to do next. And I was doing some consulting and one of my, you know, real estate really is quite a nice community. I know we don't always have the best reputation, but um, one of my developer friends said, Hey, you know, I'm talking to this company called leap, you know, you should probably, you know, chat with them. I think you might be a great fit. Um, and so I met with the founders, um, you know, a year out. And I don't think they were quite ready for a director of real estate. And I don't know if I was quite ready to, to go with them. So I went and spent some time at Warby Parker. Um, and then, you know, a year out after they had proven the model and, you know, kind of opened up this first round of stores, they were ready. Um, and it was just a delight because we'd already had kind of that past relationship. And also that it came to me not through a, a job listing. Um, which just, you know, not to get too preachy, but if you can have that happen in your career, I think those are probably two of the best things. Awesome. Well, congrats to you. Thank um, you. Do you guys have a, a vision of how big this can get or how big you want it to get? Um, we do. Um, and I, you know, we don't necessarily, I don't know if it's pen to paper, but, you know, particularly for the real estate team, I mean, it could be thousands of spaces that we have, um, and, you know, tons of, tons of brands. There's really not, you know, a limit, um, as we keep entering markets and brands keep on coming onto the platform. So I, I want to get into the story. We're going to talk about a story in a second, but before we do that, I want to talk about the types of real estate and how you're looking at real estate. And I've got a, I, I have this thing about uh, D to C that I think some brands could be missing. And so, um, and I'm curious. Um, and so how are you thinking of real estate? What sure. types of real estate are you going to and, Sure. So uh, let's start being, you know, not really controversial. Mall is not a four letter word. Um, so we just talked a little bit about some of the D to C history where people were like, no. And by the way, even when I got to Warby, which was not so long ago, um, you know, I want to say they were nine years into the business. There weren't a ton of mall deals really being put up in real estate committee. And I think then, you know, folks found, um, and when I say folks, founders, um, 
see the numbers of what uh, shopping center or mall brands can put up and they realize that there's a lot of value there. Um, so we are looking at real estate um, probably like most every other brand out there. Um, I think there are a couple of tweaks. So yes, I'm looking at major retail corridors. I'm looking at top level centers. Um, I'm obviously have an eye to some outdoor centers, but if you are an enclosed mall and you have the Merv system, I'm all for it. Um, and you know, then we're looking, I think, more on the side of it's it's how we operate. So I think there are ways that we can partner with landlords, and that's really um, I think where we might be a little different than um, your normal tenant. Uh, where we're really looking to partner with landlords. And that has really been a big shift. Um, and I think it started a long time ago um, with Omnichannel and the market falling out in 2008. And I don't want to say it's been accelerated. It's still an evolution. But I think now tenants and landlords realize that we need each other even more. And so we're really looking to play with landlords who are open to um, some variable deal structures, um, and it's not about, hey, we're winning because we're not paying you know, rent, we're paying a percentage of sales. It's about really opening up our books to them and being transparent about, um, we're going to show you what this brand and what we can afford, um, and then we're going to decide together if we belong in this spot and we're, we're here to stay. Um, so I think that the mindset there is a little different. And then the properties we're looking at, yeah, I, I want, you know, Maine and Maine and Scottsdale Fashion Square and, and everywhere else. Do you, so you want outdoor centers, you want enclosed centers, you want high street retail, anything that's a preference from product? Or um, open everything? We're really open to everything. I think there will be, um, you know, some challenges that we will need to get over in categories that we're not necessarily in. And I think we're really open to it and actually excited to do it. Um, so, you know, home is, you know, off off the charts. I think beauty definitely has some challenges, but, um, you know, it's something that we're based on the model. We're just so um agile and able to adapt and able to pivot quickly um, that, you know, we can handle, uh, hey, it's a pandemic and nobody wants to try on makeup. You know, how do you handle that? Um, and I think kind of the best example is, um, you know, we had the pandemic just like everybody else on March 13th, we closed all our stores, we furloughed all our employees. You know, the difference is, is that, you know, um, we went out and negotiated all the lease amendments and came back to the brands um, without them. They were thinking about lots of other problems they had to work through um, and then how they would open up and come back into retail. So, you know, all of those things, I think, lend themselves to um, a really flexible environment where we can take on lots of different things. And so, sure. Uh, so staying on this topic, one of the sure. things, and I said, I, I think there's opportunity for DTC brands that when they're looking, you know, you mentioned the word major retail corridors. I think there's a lot of places in the country that are dynamic real estate, but not markets that some brands think about. Um, we'll use extreme. You told me you were from Plattsburgh, uh, New York. We'll use <laughs> that we're going way extreme here. I don't, right, I'm not see. sure if there's any retailers like I got to be in Plattsburgh, New York. <laughs> so th there's... There, there is, but and like, I have looked at your portfolio, by the way. So uh -huh, I am, I'm aware. Thanks. 
<laughs> so I'm not in Plattsburgh, but I, I guess know you're point, not. <laughs> but I guess the point the the point that I'm making is like, you know, you take someone you're from upstate New York, you know, a, you know, a, you know, a retailer like Wegmans. Yes. I would think that being in a Wegmans anchored center would be for a lot of DDC brands. I mean, it'd be hard to get more exposure than being next to a Wegmans per se. But I, if you looked at Wegmans centers across the country and they're, cause they're not, they're not all of them, you know, some, they just, they, they're in, uh, I think uh, they're in some, they're getting into some denser markets, but some Wegmans are in some just normal suburbs, which I'll call, but they, they crush it. It wouldn't be, what a DTC might model out to be at, but I would venture to say if you were, if there was a Wegman center with TJ Maxx and uh, Dick sporting goods and whatnot, it'd be good. It'd be good real estate for some DTC, given the amount of traffic that goes through there. But when they think about it, they think about going to LA, Chicago, downtown Chicago and New York city. And one challenging because real estate prices are, much higher in those places than in others. And two, um, the, I, I, it's sometimes the availability of real estate is, 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 it's funky. It's some of the spaces are not traditional spaces. It's harder to lay it out. There's parking challenges. And so I, I, you know, I often wonder, you know, at some point I think D to C because one of the things I've seen with D to C is, and I, I heard this from one D to C brand, they're looking at when they were thinking about opening stores, they were looking at where do all their online sales come from? And what are their highest percentage of online sales? And like, that's a market we want to penetrate. And I, and I'm going, well, that's good to go deeper where you are, but some white space and I'll use a random market. If you're not in Minneapolis, meaning no one's there in Minneapolis who knows your brand, would it be interesting to go to Minneapolis and open a store there so people can start to learn about the brand and know who the brand is since you're not getting that traffic through e-commerce in Minneapolis, let's say, and I'm using Minneapolis, I think that's the, the city of Minneapolis. I like Minneapolis. I think it's a great town. <laughs> Just an example. Shout out. So you touched on so many important things. I mean, one is um, going back to the platform is that it's data driven. So there is totally the model that um, if your Shopify data says this is where your shopper is, then that's probably where you should go. And so we're, you know, the, it's, it's kind of hard to fight against data that um, if you go there and it's matched up well, you'll have a customer. That said, folks who are coming to Leap are really looking to us for um, the real estate and the real estate strategy. And our eyes are, are wide open to a ton of things that you just said, which is, um, I hate that they're called secondary markets because I don't really, you know, it has a little bit of a derogatory. So I just call them new markets. Um, but we certainly did an exercise of, you know, where is the demand coming for some of these brands that is outside of New York, Chicago, LA, San Francisco? Um, and where should we be heading that we are, you know, going to be able to open stores more quickly? Rents will be more affordable. Um, and also, I think in the data, there is a great um, amount of, um, this is kind of intuitive data, but if you're a Warby shopper, it also shows that you used your credit card at a Whole Foods or Wegman. 
So why wouldn't you be going into those centers? And then That's I right. think, you know, a third point is essential goods is all we've shopped for for the last nine months, practically. So if I am going to venture out, um, and I do like to buy my own groceries, I'm going to physically go there. And if you're anchored for, you know, buy a, a Whole Foods and there are other things that are open there that might be non-essential, the chances of me going are going to, you know, go up exponentially. So uh, yes, I, I think we're, we're living in a whole new world. And then I also think there's something about store count. So yes, it is kind of, you know, you're starting out and it, you don't even need to do any analysis on, Hey, should I have a store in New York if I'm a certain kind of brand? But I think when you get to a certain store count, um, not only are, I won't call them secondary markets, new markets are important. And, um, what are going on in in the suburbs because of um, so the pandemic? I, so I'd I even say strip centers. I mean, why should yeah, we count them center. out? So, so I, I think, and that's what I own, obviously. So you know that. So it's a little biased, but um, yeah, but but the I think even more than the Plattsburghs, it's when we think of New York, we think of the city, and I love New York. I think it's the greatest city in the in the world. Um, I think that you know. There's a lot of same demographic, different location. A lot of people in Bergen County shop lifestyle brands. They might not be going to the city that often, but they might put three stores in the city, consider Bergen County, New York Metro, and then move on and be done. And I think they're missing some, some groups. Um, you know, other retailers might call those infill markets or infill, but I think there's a piece of that. That's also what I'm talking. You mentioned the suburbs, but I'm talking about that, not just different markets, but also same market, but different, right? You know, there's definitely lifestyle brands that have locations, maybe they're within an hour of me that my wife shops, but I don't know that she's going to their store uh, because it's in some, you know, it's where I live in the suburbs. Um, and then the second piece on the white space versus the, the non-white space. One of the things though, so they're the, one of the things that I think retailers, legacy retailers did well and do well is they go oftentimes and say, okay, my brand's recognizable in X market. And that's where the, you know, let's and like, and the, the, the digitally native brands, they're saying it's recognizable in X city. And I have a lot of customers there. I'm not having this market. Let's call it Minneapolis. We're using Minneapolis as the example, but the demographics of my customer here are the same there. They just don't know me. That's different than it's not the right customer. It's just a customer who doesn't know me. Right. Because we didn't market in Minneapolis and they, they're not finding me on Instagram per se. I'm not showing up, but um, same demographic income level, same as whatever the, the Nashville market where they're going. And so I'm curious to see the evolution of that. So. Uh, me too. And by the way, you know, as a, a real estate person, I think I do get a little nervous sometimes where I'm like, no, nobody knows who they are. Um, you made a great point, though, about Instagram. So it's, you know, I might not be, uh, you know, let's take a, oh, I might not know who Warby Parker is, but I'm following them on Instagram. And so I think social media has helped certainly in that um, 
you know, not even as an advertisement, but then you're excited when that brand comes into your market, even though maybe Warby hadn't been running, you know, advertisements on television in that market. So I think those things um, are, are, are important. And I think brands have a, a little ways to go and kind of figure them out. Awesome. Uh, all right. So the next uh, part of the show is the story. So what market are we going to and what is the brand? Sure. So we, we are already in Chicago, but we took another space in Chicago. And um, this was a real adventure because it was about proving a new product for Leap. And so we went to 6060s Walton in the Gold Coast um, and um, basically took the space and rotated brands through every three months um, to, uh, and this is at the height, uh, not at the height of the pandemic, but I'll tell you, we opened up um, about a week after um, the first round of looting went on in Chicago. Wow. So there was definitely some trepidation. There was a lot of broken glass down in this area for people who know Chicago. Um, I'm sure they're familiar. Um, and what we did is we rotated brands in uh, for three months each um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, there was was demand um, to be in the Gold Coast. Your, your brand was a good fit there. Um, number two is you may or may not have been having some inventory um, issues that you wanted to move through some product before we went through the next season. Um, but without, you know, plastering sample sale or inventory sale um, on your store, you were able to open a brand, a creative store, be open for three months, um, move through some inventory, test the market, uh, get used to what it's like to operate a store in a pandemic, um, and then leave and assess whether this was something that was good for you or not. And, and also, you know, have a good uh, experience with Leap, hopefully. So uh, we took 66th East Walton. Uh, we put in an Australian brand called Charlie Holiday. Uh, then we put in um, a brand called Hatch, which is maternity wear. Uh, we have Nottam in there right now, and I'm forgetting there was one, um, and a brand called ALC, which is, um, you know, higher brand almost in the luxury category. Um, and we will probably continue to do that at 66 Walton. Interesting. So, a uh, couple of things there. So one, uh, I love Hatch because I think there's a huge, you know, interesting because I think there's an open to buy for physical maternity because destination, motherhood, maternity, you know. Panapod, those guys aren't around. Not around. And now I, I made this point and someone told me, oh, you're missing it, Chris. The new maternity wear is Lululemon and Athleta, which was interesting. But- <laughs> Uh, I thought that was interesting because I'm not a customer. So, but I, I thought that was interesting anyway, but like that brand, I guess the, a couple of things, one, which brings us to something we didn't talk about when we said we were going to talk about earlier, that sounds a lot like show fields and neighborhood goods. And you're, you're, you, you know, made the point you're traditionally you, you are different. So why don't you take us through, what is the difference between show fields, neighborhood goods and what you all do? 
Absolutely. Um, and by the way, they are um, friends and I'd say family and we're all in the same category, which is, you know, retail as a service. Um, the difference is, is that, you know, when Hatch opened up in the space at 66 East Walton, it's a Hatch store through and through. Um, and so there's no other product. Um, and I love going to a show fields and I love going to a neighborhood goods because there's a variety of products in there and there's a variety of price points um, and there's a nice sense of discovery, not that you can't have that in our store. Um, I think what happens a little bit and, you know, there can also be this at a show fields and at um, a neighborhood goods um, is if you go into a store that is its own brand. So it's all hatch or it's all Nottam or it's all Charlie holiday um, that, um, you have a different brand experience um, with the brand itself, um, as opposed to having a number of smaller experiences with different brands. And I'm, I would not say one is better than the other. Um, I think if you're a retailer, they may lead to different places um, in how a consumer reacts to um, their shopping experience with you. Um, but both um, can certainly be, you know, super positive. So I guess the follow-up to that is, where do the different experiences lead me to as a shopper? Uh, well, <laughs> the, the hope is certainly uh, to some loyalty and that you're a return customer kind of 101 of um, retail. Um, and if you already know the brand, then you're a fan and you're thrilled to see that they're physically, you know, in your neighborhood or, you know, uh, coming to you somewhere near you. Um, so I think that there's some of that. And I think there's also, um, you know, something to term and how long you actually stay, um, you know, so if you're, um, you know, going to be in show fields or neighborhood goods for a very short amount of time, I think it might be harder to have the click. But again, we just had brands who went in for three months each. Do you think you might start doing more of that? Or are you pretty focused in general on making the store that brand store? Um, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get into um, putting multiple brands in um, the same space, because, again, I think that's a huge part of the secret sauce. And it's why people are coming to Leap. They're really ready to do their own stores. Um, and they I don't want to say they've maybe graduated. They've probably, though, experimented maybe being in someone else's space. Um, and that may work for them, too. I think, you know, what I'm hearing from the retail world is that there are lots of different ways to do physical retail. Um, and you may, you may do a lot of them, just like you were saying, you know, um, a YSL is inside of some department stores, but they also have their same standing store. So they're, they're double dipping on the model as well. I think now they're just, they're more choices, um, for brands to do that. Got it. And yeah. And I guess if you're not going to do that, do you see yourself doing more here, I guess, whereas one brand in the store, that's it, but cycling them through like you mentioned here? Uh, uh, yes and no. I mean, I think it's going to depend on the environment and the intention really is, is that, um, you know, you, we try each other on, you try out a market, you try on, you know, maybe it's retail for the first time, and then you graduate to our core product because I think there's a lot to be said, and there are probably studies on this um, about 
just staying longer and, um, you know, building your brand awareness, moving through more inventory, all those other things, but certainly um, pop-up or, you know, temporary stores have a place and have for quite a long time um, within the retail landscape. Got it. Makes sense. And so when did you sign the lease in Chicago here, given we're in a pandemic and you were amidst civil unrest at the time. When did you sign the lease? Uh, in total transparency, probably the week before. And there was, you know, some back and forth. I think what uh, what's great, one, about being on this program and um, being LEAP, we're, we're new and we're a little different. And so there's definitely some landlord education on who we are, what we're going to do when we come into the space. Um, you and I are both on the real estate side, um, which obviously I think we both love and, you know, thrive in. Um, but it's an older industry. Um, I think it's evolved incredibly. Um, but I think there's an education process. Um, the, the thing about doing some of these shorter term leases or a license agreement um, is that you can do them quickly. Um, I know I have a real estate process set out and I have one for the short term product and I have another for a long term product, because, as you know, um, leases take, you know, a longer time than than a license agreement. Sometimes that comes in to, to bite you and it's the other way around. But, um, you know, it allows, again, this agility and this flexibility um, in the world we're living in. And who was the former tenant in the space before you who was there before Leap? Thomas Pink. Oh, so you took a Thomas Pink space. We did. And you negotiate this deal and you sign the lease. Oh, and how much work in CapEx did you have to do? So here's something about the model we didn't talk about. So I mainly look for spaces size-wise between 1,000 and 2,000 square feet. We're obviously pushing up a little because of capacity constraints. And I look for, you know, white boxes or second-generation boxes. So we really, you know, coming from, I wouldn't say Warby is a legacy retailer, but folks who are really doing these kind of amazing build outs um, and I love, and I think it's a huge part of the, the brand. Um, it can also be a little bit of your enemy uh, when you're really crunching the numbers and looking at a PNL. So if you have a build out that costs half a million dollars, what's that going to do to the rent structure and all these other things. Um, so by taking second generation boxes, again, we can go very, very quickly. And we're also, um, sometimes avoiding construction and permitting and that we can really come in with our FF and E um, and turn a space very quickly with vinyl, a coat of paint, um, you know, the brand imagery going up and, um, you know, a space that you walked by that was vacant the next day, you know, is a store. And that's, that's awesome. And I haven't been to one, but if you were to take a before and after photo of the Thomas Pink and Charlie Holiday, which was the first one that went in, did it feel like Charlie Holiday? It did. And again, I, I go back to that as the secret sauce. So putting elements of who they really are. And I mean, they're an interesting brand. They're Australian. Not a ton of people know them. I think, you know, they hit it at the right time in Chicago where people still wanted to wear, you know, pretty floral dresses and be outside. 
um, but it spoke to the brand. Um, and I do think that, you know, we're saying we're, we're taking, you know, a lot of the risk out of retail so you can focus on the brand. We should certainly put that back into to every single store so that um, you're having that brand experience. How did you get four different brands who didn't have much of a physical presence to want to open up stores in civil unrest in a pandemic? I have a really good BD team. <laughs> I think I think their special talent is persuasion. Um, but, but outside of that, and that's tongue in cheek, I think that um, if you're bullish on physical retail, which these four folks certainly are, um, you know, why not test a, a market now? The civil unrest was unplanned, and it was certainly a nail biter. And you know, we added on to our insurance in you know lots of different ways. Um, but um, I think really it's, you know, the last quarter of this year is not, you know, I think we can now see into the future a little bit, election, vaccination, things that are happening that um, really now is the time that you can begin to gear up and, and start to experiment with retail if that's where you are or get back to physical stores and getting them up and running. Two last questions. Ready? Yep. Lay easy on ones. Nah, they're easy <laughs> ones. Um, so I think one, from a market perspective, how big is the demand? Clearly, I, I know it, it's probably a little stupid of a question because you all have made a big bet on it, but how big is the demand for some of these digitally native brands to open up physical stores kind of across the country? Um, I would say it's, I, well, how, how should we play this? Let's do a scale from one to 10. Cause that's really an easy I, one. I like that one. <laughs> I did too. Um, so I would say, you know, if I'm cautiously optimistic, it's about an eight. Um, wow. and if I'm really being dolly positive, I really think it's, it's a nine or a 10. And again, they're, they're really looking to folks that came before them. Um, and then they're, they're making their own runway, which I think is fantastic. Um, I'll take a brand called studs.com who is, is not on the platform, but um, I had the pleasure of chatting with the founder um, about lots of different things. And if she's going to be the next Claire's of ear piercing, think about how many stores they had. But I think she's thinking about it in a light where maybe she's not running all those stores under her, her corporate umbrella. And by the way, it doesn't mean she's doing a leap. It may be some of them are franchised. There's there's all there's lots of different ways now to to get your retail up and running and and do it in a really smart way. Interesting. Uh, last question of this: How are you forecasting sales for these retailers? Is it them that are making a sales forecast? Is it you? Is it some software? Is it a combination of the three? Uh, very carefully, first of all, <laughs> and and kind of a combination again because we get all their data when they come onto the platform. Uh, then we're able to, you know, do a sales forecast. Is it hard to forecast in a pandemic? I just had someone on the merchandising say to me the other day, 
I'm not really sure what to order because I wasn't alive during the Spanish flu. So we are <laughs> up against that. I know. I, I thought it was a really good comeback, by the way. I was like, no, no pressure. But um, so I think there is there are challenges for sure in that. But if you really look at the data and if they've had some kind of foray, if the brands had some kind of foray into retail, um, then you have a good baseline of what we think they can do. You do have to layer on, hey, what's going to happen with a pandemic? But completely data-driven, so using AI Placer, uh, using their Shopify information, um, using their financials. I'm just curious as to how you translate either. See, I think it's easy for Starbucks or TJ Maxx to look at Placer and probably or geofencing and, and kind of get somewhere around, well, this is at this type of traffic and these type of demos, we, we do this and it's easy, it's replicatable. Um, for someone who doesn't have a store, how do you translate that into actual revenue? I, I mean, you do a sales projection and you, you hope that you're, you're spot on. So, I mean, you got to know somebody's coming and, you know, I think to your point about, Hey, are some of these folks going to go to strip centers and what have you? I think you're, you're pretty cautious stores one through 10. Uh, and then you start to get the heartbeat of it. Got it. All right. That was fascinating. And one more time, the, the four brands that were in that location in Chicago. Uh, oh, you're testing my mind. Charlie Holiday, Hatch, ALC, and Nottam. Awesome. Well, everyone check out those brands. Check out Leap. And we're now into the last part of our show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question one. What is your best piece of commercial real estate advice? Ask, ask for what you want, ask for what you need, particularly in this environment. It's, it's never been a better time to work with landlords. We need each other. Awesome. Question two, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? This is a tough question. Um, don't judge me, um, but I still <laughs> have some clothing from this place. Um, and it, 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 it had a lot of, um, PR issues around it, but an American apparel was, uh, you know, it had a lot of great basics. I think I have tank tops from there, the colors, um, interesting concept. And, you know, they did quite well for, for quite a long time. Last question. It's not the exact one, but given we were talking about digitally native brands, I went to my closet. I dressed specifically for this podcast today. So I am wearing a untuck it vest. And so in the spirit of digitally native brands, I am on untuck its website. It's not the exact vest, but I am looking at their quilted field vest. What does that retail for? I'm going to say $75. Wow. So it was 128, but now it's 85. You were close, but not there. Thank you for playing. Thank you for having me. I love, love that game. By the way, on a lot of, uh, on my own podcast, I constantly say I'm a gold medal shopper, but clearly I'm a little off. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, this was great. I really appreciate the time. Uh, thank you so much. Right back at you. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at 
Retail Retold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.